Hello again there, everybody, and welcome to Around the World in 80 Cigars, the podcast with me, Nick Hammond. Now, I have some interesting guests today. I have an interesting guest every week, of course, but today is particularly interesting um, for a number of reasons which will become apparent. But uh, these people are about as steeped in tobacco as it's possible to be. Um, and fascinating to talk to about all of that and the world that goes with it. Um, uh, we have a family connection here and um, for those of you who may have uh, already cast your eyes over my book or at least heard about it there is a chapter in there and the chapter is simply called Henke H-E-N-K-E which is the nickname of one particular gentleman that's joining us um, and the other gentleman that's joining us is his son it is of course the Kellners so I'd like to give a very warm welcome to class and to Henke Kellner. Hi guys. Hi Nick, how are you? Hi. <laughs> very, Henke. very nice to hear from you. You are in your garden in, is it Santiago you're at? Yes, we're in Santiago, Dominican Republic. Oh, wow. And tell me, what's the weather like? It's been very sunny lately. You know, there's a lot of birds chirping in the background and no, not a lot of rain lately, but it's been very warm. Oh, very dry, very dry season. I need more. more. Yeah, we need more rain. More rain. We need more. <laughs> more. Well, that's a typical ah. farmer. They're never happy, are they? Right. But unfortunately, the 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 crop finish. Eh? Uh, um, uh, was a very good crop. Uh, good yield, good quality. Uh, tobacco is not a problem. Well, that's yeah. good to hear. And what about, um, I know, Henke, you also grow your coffee and your cacao. Well, uh, that's yeah. that's more year-round. So, Is it? Uh, right. Yes. So, I mean, the cacao, especially in big, uh, big trees and the coffee up in the mountains, the coffee is a little cooler and you get more rainfall and more cloud coverage in the, in, up in the hillsides and mountains. But so we don't, we're not too worried about that. It's really more, thank God we're over with the crop and the crop was successful and now the dry season starts before next year's crop. And it's, it's the same with anything that sort of comes from Mother Nature, I guess. It, you sort of know sooner are you, as you say, delighted that you've had a good harvest and the crop looks good and then you start worrying about the next lot. Yeah, we're never truly satisfied. We're never stopped thinking about the next year and what's to come. Next year. Um, next year. Uh, you know, uh, uh, my experience is uh, dry season is a good crop if you have water. Is that right? If you have water, it's the best crop. The problem is uh, now uh, the dam, uh, they don't have enough water. But uh, anyway, we start to grow in, uh, planting tobacco in October and November. And that's after hurricane season. Yeah, and and the pronostic of this year is a very active season of hurricane water. And I suppose that we have enough hour for the crop. Yeah, but this is not the problem. The problem that, that I think is, you know, when some something happened like this year. The, the the sales of cigars reduced. Uh, the the factory have an inventory, mm. and maybe some factory decide to no growing tobacco reduce the the crop because they have a suppose the company they have a, a four years or four years of inventory, and his sales reduced twenty five percent. Okay. He, he, say, he say, okay, I have a, another year more in tobacco. I don't need tobacco. This is my, uh, maybe this is the problem. I try to convince the people that we need to continue to grow because a, a company that, a country that has enough tobacco uh, for image in the market is bad for the, for the, for, for the country. Basically, what he's saying is that there might be an, in, uh, a lot of inventory in the companies and some people might say, hey, we don't need to farm tobacco this year, but we want everybody to continue to, uh, farming regardless of the weather, regardless of 
any uh, things that might have happened throughout the year or the virus or uh, the outbreak. So we just want everybody to stay faithful and continue as normal. Yeah, because if you sort of get into that mindset that it's okay to miss out for a, for a year or something, then that's quite a dangerous thing, I'd imagine. Yes, it can really uh, definitely interrupt your whole process flow and your inventory and uh, all the raw material that your tobacco, your cigars need. Yeah, I can well imagine that. Well, let's take it for people that perhaps aren't as... Um, uh, aren't as well informed as others about uh, about Davidoff and about the Dominican Republic. Let's just remind them that Henke uh, is the guy that I describe as the Steven Spielberg of the cigar industry, which always brings a smile to my face. Um, and I talk in great depth in a chapter in the book about going to meet him after years and years and years of reading about his stuff and seeing his picture. And he, he's, you know what it's like class when you're growing up and you you know you read the magazines and you see these guys you know them because you see them in the adverts and you watch all the interviews and you read stuff about what they've yeah. produced and it becomes a bit they become a bit like you know mythical figures or whatever so when I first got my chance to go over and meet him it was just just fantastic and I'll never forget that morning um you know going really early in ex- remarkably hot first thing in the morning really humid again into the plantation and this this lovely sea of really verdant green wrappers just gently rustling and meeting Henke who comes over, you know, big smile on his face. And we have this just, you know, absolute amazing discussion about tobacco right from the get-go. And, you know, he doesn't stop for about an hour. And then we sit in that little shelter you've got there and then have that coffee and the, and the um and the cacao grated into it and, and a lovely cigar with him and it was just amazing so that was just such an experience for me but you class have grown up completely and utterly um as i said at the top of the show steeped in tobacco can you tell what's the first sort of real memory that you you can remember that is you know around cigars or tobacco Ooh, that's a little hard to say. Um, I, I think every one of my memories is somehow intertwined with tobacco. Um, you know, I one of the, the first memories or one of the most predominant memories is, you know, as a kid, your, your dad works in tobacco. You see him as a Steven Spielberg of the tobacco industry. I see him as a dad. Yeah, <laughs> So it, it, my, my view is a little different. It's very interesting how I've, he's evolved in my eyes. He's been a dad, a father figure, and then he's become a friend. And now he's also a mentor. And he has evolved in, in my eyes. He's still my father. He's still a great friend. But now I also see him as somebody I can rely on and as a mentor. Yeah. And one of the things I remember very early on in my life is him and my mother waking me up really early in the morning. I'm talking five o'clock before six, before sunrise. And they would dress me up, put on a Panama hat on me. And they take me to the farm to take pictures of that year's crop. And we'd go several times throughout the year as the crop grows to take different pictures. So as a very young age, even though I wasn't working, they would go and take me into the crop and see how it was evolving every single year and then take pictures. And I have all these memories I mean, plastered throughout all the house of me in different years of different crops with my family in farms. <laughs> and, and were you always interested in it or you, did you just get dragged along because it was something your dad did and that grew later? My father always jokes that my family is not very creative. <laughs> uh, I don't know if he wants to expand on that. Why are we not creative? Porque no somos creativos, la familia. Ah, uh, uh, no, no. I, I say the family is not creative. It's not creative because uh, uh, all members of the family made the same tobacco. <laughs> all members tobacco, tobacco, tobacco. And I'm talking all my sister, my sisters, my brothers, my uncles, my cousins, his cousins, his brothers, his my grandfather, his my grandfather's brothers all work in tobacco. Right. And you could say that. Um, 
we didn't have a choice almost, no. but, but we did have a choice. And my father and my mother were always very open to whatever we wanted to do. It's just that when you grow up in it and you see how beautiful the industry is, how beautiful the craft and the farming is, and then the people, there's not, there's no bad people in tobacco. They're very open-minded. If you can sit over an hour with a cigar with somebody, you have something in common and you just learn to love every aspect of it. So you just choose it by default. You, there's no ifs or buts. You just want to be part of it. So Yeah. And when you're that, that surrounded by it, I mean, as you say, your, your family may not be particularly original, but hey, if it, if it, if it ain't broke, why fix it? As they say, um, it's obviously in your blood. Can you, what is the thing for you, Klaas, that you most enjoy about your job? And, and let's tell people exactly what is your job now. That's a good point. Yeah, so first what you're saying, if it, if it ain't broke, uh, don't fix it. But you can also always improve on it, sure. right? So it's up to the next generations to improve what uh, legends such as my father have done you know and and that's really where the weight is and that's really where our commitment is to try to make it better uh, not only in growing and processing cigar making but also make it better for the consumer you know make it more interesting at the end so that they understand what we love and why we love it give them something special something new um my job is right now I'm senior brand ambassador for Davidoff Cigars in the United States and in parts of Latin America. So I cover basically the Americas and I travel around the world uh, most of the year doing events and also uh, doing uh, staff trainings, teaching the stores how to promote the product, how to merchandise it, how to talk about it. So, and basically I'm an educator of the brand and of, of tobacco and cigars. I do a lot of tastings, a lot of seminars, not just on the brand, but also on the art of cigar making, on the uh, art of cigar tasting. And, and that's what I do. I love educating. And then I'm part of the year with my family in Dominican Republic during the harvest season. So mm. I come to the bar January, February, March, high season and I'm here during the farming time and also to receive guests because we receive a lot of guests during those times that come want to come visit the farm want to go see the harvest want to come see the factories yeah absolutely I, I can imagine and uh and what I mean you're a young guy so uh, you know it's a great lifestyle to travel the world and and get to know it and meet people but also I know what it's like what sounds like you know the dream job once you've done six weeks on the road and you've taught the same seminar 10 times in a row, um, does it get a bit much or do you, you always can raise that enthusiasm, enthusiasm for it? I, I think what I love about my job is that even though I am repeating a lot of seminars, every time I do it, it's a different uh, crowd, it's yeah. a different person and they have different questions they see things different different markets enjoy different cigars uh enjoy cigars differently talk about them differently so it's always a, quite an experience to go to new markets and and see new people and it's always awesome to visit the same market again and see how they have developed go visit the friends that you have already made uh, I, it can get tiring if you're on the road for many weeks back to back but I, I make sure to get some downtime. I make sure to get some family time as well. Uh, I schedule my year uh, uh, very well so that it doesn't get tiresome. And, yeah. and I love it. You know, it's, I think that's one of the things I love the most. But there's nothing like actually coming back home and being in the farm, like you say, like 7 o'clock in the morning with that divine hot chocolate. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, always say, I always say there's life before the hot chocolate and life after the hot chocolate. It's so true. I'm so glad you said that because, as you know, you, you've read the chapter and it just became, I went, as soon as I tasted it, I just knew that I didn't, in fact, at that stage, I didn't even know I was writing a book, but I knew at some stage that if ever I wrote about it, that, that would be the focus. So what is it about that thing? That stuff is so amazing. I mean that hot chocolate is done the traditional way it's a hot chocolate that we get the cacao 
we scrape it off right off the seed. Then we add different homemade spices, some cinnamon, uh, a little bit of salt and some sugar, of course. And it just, it's just the way it's made water-based. It's not, it's not milk. It's just water-based and it's yeah. so deep, so rich. And you're not the only one. Everybody that tries it is just blown away by it. <laughs> really? Yeah. And, and I think I had about three cups. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's organic. You know, it's organic. It's, it's made right off. Uh, it's sticking right off the, the, the tree. The, sorry for that sound. <laughs> My dad just got a phone call. Or one uh, no one problem. Minute. No problem at all. Yeah, and I remember Henke telling me what oh, it was, you know, the cacao is grown just up there, you know, up on the hills sort of thing. Because um, you grow everything, you know, on, on those surrounding hills and fields, don't you? Yes, and all that is, is um, my mother's land. Yes, so, he, he was at great pains to tell me that, that, that he said, not mine, belong to my wife, and gave me a wink. <laughs> um, he, he knows who the real boss is. Yeah, you know? well, like all of us, class, right? <laughs> it is, it's, it's really cool because my grandfather from my mother's side was a farmer, um, mainly rice, coffee. We've kept the coffee from that side, and also cattle. And now our family is also because of my dad uh, into tobacco. And I have both worlds. I have the tobacco side and then I have the farmer side uh, from my grandfather on my mother's side. So it's oh, okay. a really cool mix. If I remember rightly, he, your grandfather, it, um, your dad said to your grandfather, I reckon you could grow tobacco here and no one had done it before. And he said, no, I don't think so. It's not the right. And, then, and your dad said, let's try it. And that's how it started. Is that right? Uh, basically, when my grandfather on my mother's side, um, he, he was a big grower. He was, uh, he was big deal in regards to rice growing, uh, coffee, um, cattle. And he never really got into tobacco. It was my dad that was into tobacco because of his, gener his family. Hmm. And uh, when my grandfather passed away uh, on my mother's side, my mother inherited all the land. Yeah. And at that moment, my dad started growing tobacco on it. But before, nobody had grown tobacco in it. And uh, it wasn't really my grandfather's thing on my mother's side. Yeah. So it, my father was the one that brought it into my mother's side of the family. And it's been very successful. I mean, it's one of the best farms in the country and one of the most high-tech farms. Exactly. And that's what I was thinking, really. And, and, you know, a lot of these types of stories that I'm just, you know, I'm going to say is um, can be a bit sort of overdone and a bit overmarketed and a bit of hype. But it does seem like your dad just has this natural affinity with, um, you know, black tobacco. And, um, you know, it's stuff like the, the, the plots he's grown subsequently for Davidoff in places that they didn't think it was possible. And, he seems to just have an eye for it and a feel for it. And I show it, I'm sure it's not quite that simple, but there is a real flair there, isn't there? I think he can describe it better than I can, but it's, it's attention to detail. Right. There's the, the passion, you need to have it. You need to be able to go onto a farm and sweat a day, whole day out there, you know, get dirt in places you never assumed you could get dirt in <laughs> and really work it and and you have to be able to uh, love that kind of lifestyle to first start to then pay attention to the little details and once you've uh, learned to love it you start paying attention to the little details and every single one of those tobaccos uh, plants is not just a plant anymore but it's almost like a baby for you and yeah. you have to take good care of your baby so they grow nice and healthy and and then my father starts uh, implementing technology and he starts looking at the science behind it and the chemistry behind it and it becomes almost uh, mathematical at some point where he has to make sure that every uh, ounce of every fertilizer is exactly measured so that your babies get exactly the amount of nutrients that they need. So it's, it, you need an eye for it, but you also need to know the science. Yeah, that's a really good behind point. It. It's, um, and it also, that's a blend of the sort of old and the new, isn't it? Because the, the old guys maybe didn't have the 
technical training, but they had the knowledge. But now you can say, you know, X, that plant there needs X amount of whatever um, and turn it into a, some sort of formula. And again, you've got to have a quick mind for that. So you're quite right. I remember chatting to your dad about that and he's, he could quote all of those numbers and things and write down the equation on the napkin in front of you sort of thing. And so, and that fascinates me as well. I mean, you've had a few positions at Davidoff now, Clara. Do you see yourself eventually ending up growing tobacco yourself? Well, the family farms are the family farms. That's that's in the family. Yeah. Um, so I will continue to be a, attached to to that side, no matter what. Uh, but very much like my father, I want to be able to create. I've done I've done work in the farms. I've done work in the factories. Now I'm out in the market, uh, doing sales and marketing. So I know, know a lot of everything. But I think the ultimate goal. You know, when you hit that stage in your life where you uh, give back to people, it's what, something you want to do. And I want to create. I want to give back to people uh, in the form of a cigar uh, all the knowledge that my father is passing down to us, uh, his children. And I think the best way to honor that is by creating, creating cigars that follow the philosophy of blending that he has taught us. And it's something that I want to do. I want to create and I want to give people beautiful experiences through our cigars. Mm, well said. And I'm just thinking there, I mean, your dad as well as growing the tobacco, then another another angle of that is, of course, he's, he's a master blender. Um, and he comes up with the blends for these, along with Eladio, of course, Eladio Diaz. At um, do you enjoy that part of the business? Blending is awesome. Uh, blending is is it's like there's there's a there's an art to it there's passion i think i think blending has a lot of magic to it especially when you get inspired by something i mean you dream about a blend or you think about something because you were talking about it with somebody else and you just decide to apply it to blending right i think some one of the beauties about blending is that uh you're blending leaves, solid objects that don't get enjoyed as a solid, but get enjoyed as a vapor, as smoke, you know, and, and it's, it's, it's not like blending liquids to be enjoyed as a liquid, you know, as with wines, whiskeys, champagne, it, this is blending a solid that has been worked on in a solid form, and then it's going to be enjoyed through combustion. So it, there is a magic of it. The, when you have a blend that has a great outcome, that has great balance, I think there's just a beauty of it and there's a sense of pride that you were able to do something with, with, with a blending technique that is so not typical in the world, you know. Yeah, and it's, um, you're right, it's, it's absolutely alchemy more than anything else, isn't it? Um, you know, you have an, and it's, it must be incredibly creative because you have a thought, as you say, even in your sleep, and you think, what would happen if I pair, you know, that leaf from that particular plot, from that particular vintage, and put it with this one, and, 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 and then you get to be, you know, almost like a painter and see what happens when you put these things together, and that it must be very rewarding as well, I thought. And then there's also a lot of uh, errors and mistakes that there's a lot of trials and errors because you can be that painter. You can see if those paints will work together, but what if it doesn't? And yeah. then you learn from your mistakes and then you tweak the blend and there's a lot of going back and forth to make it sure that it's perfect. <laughs> uh, I mean, I grew up with my father. I grew up with Eladio and also with Manuel Peralta, who's the master agronomist. Yeah. And you got... Uh, these three masters in their respective fields and these master blenders that are doing trials and error. And it's just really fun to sit on a table with them and see how their minds work and how they go about blending because every single one of them has a different approach. It, it's, it's very, very interesting to see their minds at work when they're blending. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'd, that's, I'd love to, to be a fly on the wall just to, to see that. I, I mean, do they still, get that buzz and kick out of doing it. Oh yeah. It's you, you, you mentioned my father likes writing on napkins. 
he he will do that quite a lot. He will grab a napkin, a piece of paper, you know, grab the nearest pen or pencil that's next to him, and he would just start writing. And and if you're in the factory setting, that napkin will be handed over to like a cigar roller and, and a, a supervisor like, hey, go do this. No way. And, and the cigar will come back in like in three hours or two hours after they search the tobaccos and, and then you can enjoy it. You know, it's like on demand, give it wow. to, you know, this is the plan, go make it. And in a couple hours we'll be enjoying it. That's and of course, you, of course you gotta let the cigar rest sometimes, but just being able to do something like that, you know, and just, Hey, here's a blend, go find the tobaccos, go see, do it. And, and we get to play a lot with it. It normally happens a happens in the off time too it's not like you are working and you're working to create a blend these blends happen in the off time you know when you're not yeah. thinking about work when you are after work hours which is pretty cool it's like five o'clock in the afternoon six o'clock in the afternoon there's still somebody in the factory and you go have somebody make it or a saturday or a sunday in the morning and what is the worst cigar you've ever blended <laughs> ¿Cuál es el peor cigarro que hemos hecho en nuestra vida? Yo lo olvidé. He says he forgot it. Yes, there's there's a lot of bad ones. Um, in my opinion, uh, personally, uh, I remember we um, we were first we were creating the Escurio tobacco, the Escurio cigar, oh, yeah. the Brazilian tobacco. Yeah, so it has Matafina, it has Cubra, the Brazilian tobaccos. Matafina is very powerful. Mm. I, I remember we had a lot of trials of, of the Escudio, and there was one in particular that had a lot of Matafina, but like very powerful from like the top of the plant. And that one had me on the floor almost crying. <laughs> and uh, I don't want to revisit that blend ever again. No, no. Put that one somewhere right at the back of the cupboard. <laughs> um, yes. Okay, let's... Uh, Talk Henke and, and actually, Klaas, when um, the whole Davidoff thing happened, right? You weren't even born, right? Mm-mm. No. Right. Um, Davidoff came to the Dominican Republic. Uh, officially, the production started in January 1990. Yeah. And I was born November 1990. And it's you could, it tells you how much my father loves his work because I was born November 6, 1990. And the day, a couple days after my dad was already on a plane to go inaugurate the launch of Davidoff Dominican Republic in the United <laughs> States. So my father left my mother with her newborn child and left her during their anniversary, their first anniversary. And he was out there working. <laughs> How could you? Poor Anna. <laughs> she never forgot that. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> well, let's talk about that, Henke. Um, because, all right, for those of our listeners that perhaps don't know, Dava, the, the famous Davidoff company originally had their cigars made in Cuba. Uh, and when Zeno was still alive, there was a big falling out between Cuba and Zeno. And he said, right, that's it. I'm not having my cigars made there anymore. And he looked around and he decided that this relatively new factory, I think it was less than five years old or something, five or six years old, in the Dominican Republic, this, this, this new um, company called uh, Tabadon, which was created by, by Henke, is going to be the one that's going to make cigars for us and has done ever since. Let's talk about that, Henke, if and if you don't mind, Klaas, just helping out as and when necessary. How did that first start, that first relationship? ¿Cómo tu relación con Dr. Schneider, con Sino, comenzó? ¿Por qué ellos te eligieron? Okay. ¿Cómo fue que te mudaron a República okay. Dominicana? Ok, uh, this is a lot of history. Um, in 1998, October, mm-hmm. was my first... Uh, no, 1988, 88. yes. 1988. Okay. In October, this is my first time that I have, um, I know, I have a meeting with Schneider, Dr. Snyder come to the Dominican Republic, and that time they decide to leave from from Cuba, and they don't have too much, uh, too many opportunity. And that time, the only country that they can select is Dominican Republic, but what? Because at that time, it's the only country they have um, 
famous brand in the market. Nicaragua and, didn't exist much. Dominican Republic was the only country really they could choose. What was that, what, so what existing brands were there that, that, from Dominican? Eran las marcas, las compañías que existían? Oh, um, uh, many, uh, many Cuban brands for, for sale in USA. Uh, right. Uh, uh, like Montecristo, uh, H. Uman, Pantagas, Macanudo, Meus Prieta, many, many, uh, many different brands, uh, the people with tradition in the market. Yeah. And, and in that time, uh, real in the Dominican Republic, there are only six factories with capacity for producing uh, Davidoff. Okay. Um, and one reason that I think Dr. Snyder select my company was because for the first time, I decided to produce cigars, but not involved in the market. No, uh, no, no. Spend time in marketing. Um, uh, I, I concentrate only in production of cigars, right. production of tobacco or cigars, and, and and we make only private labels at that time, like okay. Gabo, Griffin, Ashton, Jaikiri, Ashton, and that time, and Davidoff at that time, Ottinger, is a company. Concentrate only in marketing. They produce his cigars in Cuba, but they know are involved in the production of, of the cigars in the Laguito, Cuba. And was I think was a perfect match. Uh, a company uh, only in the marketing, and with another company that concentrate only in producing cigars. It was was a very good match. Yes, I, I think was in the. The, the reason, the, the most important reason they, they select the, my company, because the other, the other company like General Cigars, uh, uh, Tabacalera Garcia, today Altadis, no? uh, including mm -hmm. Fuente, they produce cigars, but they, are, they have a distribution. Um, and, and for the design, they don't like too much that. Right. He, uh, uh, he, and that was a perfect match. Another reason was in that time, and I, uh, one year before or two years before, uh, Davido opened a store in New York. Yeah. And the three brands, the best sellers, the three brand best sellers uh, with the best price, more high price, I produced the three cigars. Uh, was Avo, Griffin, and Ashton. And the other thing, something. Something good he made. <laughs> because in my, in my store, the three biggest... Uh, the three uh, best-selling cigars. The best-selling cigar was uh, uh, made, made, made for Hanky. And that was the uh, start of the relation. I, I, I made it with Sino with in 1991, the first time. In May 1991, in Europe, when they launched the, the David of Cigars in, in Europe. Because they, they launched the cigars and David cigars in USA in November 1990, but in Europe was in May 1991. It was the first time they met uh, with Zeno David. Mm. Mm. Because you have to understand that Zeno at that moment was the face of the of the brand. Yes. But the owners of, of Davidoff was the Ottinger family. Dr. Schneider. So a lot of the, a lot of the first meetings were with Dr. Schneider, okay. and then Zeno uh, was also there. And many the important events and everything. He even came down to Dominican Republic in 1993. All the, the only time he came down to Dominican in Republic. January, and uh, yeah, so he actually got to see the factory, got to see all the processes, the farms in Dominican Republic, and he actually got to meet me too. So I have a, a picture of Zeno. Carrying me as a little uh, baby, which I keep next to my bed. Three or four or something by then. Uh, I was uh, two, oh, <laughs> two something. <bless. laughs> That's a nice picture. Yeah. Uh, remember that Zeno come in, in January 1993, and he died in January 1994. Oh wow! Yeah. Yeah. Actually, talking about uh, you know the origins and Davidoff and things, of course we must say. 
it reminds me that yesterday, um, we're recording this, uh, recording this day after that uh, Davidoff of London was founded 40 years ago yesterday. And of course, um, with yes. wonderful Edward Sahaki and, and Eddie, we must give them our love and best wishes. And I know that you two would pass yours on because you're good friends with them. Um, tell us, uh, perhaps Hen Henke just mentioned that relationship over the years. I know it's been an important one for you. Uh, you mean the relationship with the Sahakians? Yeah, absolutely. And how that sort of um, has grown over the years. Mm. I, I, I was wrong in the, in the date. Uh, Trino come in 2003, January 2003. Ah, right, okay. No, 1990. Ah, no, 1990. Okay, 1993. 1993. <laughs> he, he was, he, uh, I mean, they, we love the, the Sahakians. <laughs> yes. Everyone. It's a great father-son relationship, you know, and I, I feel like we, we, we had an interview, the, uh, they had an interview the other day with a, a, another friend of yes, ours. Yes, I saw that. Yeah. And, and we surprised them in the interview. They were enjoying their new uh, cigar that was uh, launched to commemorate the anniversary of their store. Yes. Course. And uh, we have a beautiful relationship with them, and it's, it's wonderful what they've done. They are the first uh, Davidoff uh, uh, flagship store that is owned by a third party. So yeah. they they they've done a great job with it, and what they do in the store and the, the traditions that they keep is amazing. One of the things that we learned from them is how to age cigars properly. Really, because in the factory we age uh, tobacco. We don't really age cigars. We age tobacco, we process tobacco, and then we make, we uh, manufacture cigars, but we don't age them in the factory. Mm, and they, and we, we, we age them, we, we rest them, but we don't age them for years and years and years. That's what I'm saying. No, not and like Sahakians, Yeah, the, the Sahakians have this uh, great way of aging cigars where they humidify the cigars at different humidity percentages. So that this, they reduce the humidity so that the cigars can be aged for longer periods of time. And that's something that we learned from them. So it's even, you could be a master blender Henke counter and still learn from other people. And we learn from them and they learn from us. And it's a really beautiful relationship. Yeah, they're such great people. And I can't wait to, uh, it's such a shame. I'm sure they would have thrown the party to end all parties because you, you two would know what it's like to go to it. Sahakian get together. You look forward to it all year round. So hopefully we'll be able to do that when things have calmed down. Um, let's talk a bit about the future. Um, how do you see? Well, let's say, class. How do you see your sort of personal future over the next ten years? Do you know? How, do you have a plan for how things might develop, or is it not quite that uh, structured? Are you talking about me? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> you do. Una foto de 94 con él. Eh, he, um, él me está uh, he, um, de, de my future. Ah, <laughs> ah, the future of class. Yes. Class, class have, class have many experience in tobacco, yeah. in cigars, and blend. And they have something the normal, the master blend that they don't have. Is that he know the market because master blender they need to to know many things. They need to know about uh, what is the what is the quality of tobacco, the one seed growing in one different soil. Uh, what is the 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 experience of the different position of the leaf? But in addition to that, you need to know why why what 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 the market need, what the market like. And that is uh, the problem because it's the master blender make the cigar that he like, maybe, is not a good the cigar for, for the market. It's mm -hmm. special when you make a, a, a limited edition or a special cigar for one country, okay? uh, you need to know that in different country, 
they have a different style of, of cigar. He like it. I want an example. For example, uh, Italy. Italy, uh, the people like, uh, they, they smoke too much Toscano. It's a spicy. Right. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. And then, if you make a cigar for Italy, they don't, they don't have some spices. Maybe the market, they don't like it. Yeah. And you need to know that. And Claspite uh, had that experience. He know what what need uh, the, the market. And and normal, I say, uh, the people say master blender. I prefer to say blender because to master blender, you need to know. Ah, I lost you just for a moment there. Can you hear me okay so, now? I prefer, what prefer the market? It's not the same in the Northern Europe like, than Italy or France. Or France, uh, including uh, 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 UK, a different, a different market. Are you a master blender? Um, I know some something uh, about a uh, blender maybe i prefer blender maybe i prefer the idea of blender you know, he says he says that you know the, the term master blender gets thrown around too easily yeah and uh, to be a master you need you need to know so many different things you need to be versed in so many different aspects of the whole process including the final stuff which is the marketing in the different countries you need to know who you you're blending for yeah and i can tell you that in my future uh my future is tied to tobacco there's there's no there's no ifs no buts that's the future i'm in that's the that's the present i'm in right now and <laughs> you're not i don't i have i've never closed any doors I keep all doors open, but there's one door that is shut and is that I won't be going into any other industry, <laughs> you know? And I, like, I, I want to say that it's just, it's, it's just um, like I was saying before, I want to just create. And if, well, if I can make people happy with creations, with new blends and everything, then I will be fulfilled and that will fill me, you know, it will make me uh, happy. And really, as long as I stay in tobacco and as long as I am with my family and I'm creating and people will like what I create, then that, I will be happy. Yeah, yeah so, well put. Some experience they have in UK. I have in, in the store of Edward Sahakia and the role make a, a millennium blend at that time. That was in 2006. And... Yeah. I tried these cigars and I talked with the roller and said, but this cigar is stronger than normal. He said, yes, because the people here, he like more strong cigars. I put a little more to percent of tobacco, right. only head on. Right. <laughs> but, but this is not the, the, the millennium. They said, but they said, no, exactly <laughs> the millennium. The people like that. The people like that. That's a really good it's point. Market. Market. Yeah, because... And that's part of your training, I guess, class, is that uh, you're out and about learning that, learning your trade in that regard and learning about the different markets, different countries, what they like, don't like, so that you then know that, you know, if you need to tweak a blend, some countries will love this blend and some of them not so much, right? Yeah, it's part of the training. I remember when, my, when I turned 15 years old, uh, one of the conversations I had on my birthday with my dad was um, he asked me, so what do you want to do like in the future? And yeah. I told him, I want to be in, in cigars. I want to work in tobacco. And I remember he kind of smiled, you know, Oh, that's good. But he, but he kind of brushed it off. Like he's too young to really know what he wants to do. He's just saying it because it's me asking. And then when I was 16, when I turned 16, he asked me again, the same question. And I said the same answer. And again, he was smiled and he brushed it off and, you know, life is good. But when I turned 17 and at this moment, I'm starting to look into colleges, what I'm going to be studying. Uh, he asked me the same question. I responded again. I want mm -hmm. to be in tobacco. I want to be in cigars. And he says, okay. So he literally walked me over to a table 
grabbed a piece of paper, grabbed a pen, like he always does, yeah. and he just started writing bullet points. Okay, so you're going to do this. You're going to go study abroad, which I did. You're going to learn another language, which I did. Uh, so I, I speak French. Uh, because I lived in France for a year. Right. Uh, you're, go you're going to then uh, go back to the factory, do an internship, X amount of years in the farm, X amount of time in the factory. And then you're going to go out into the market and learn what the market wants. And I can say I haven't really followed it to the T, but I've pretty much followed his outline. And I take his advice very strongly because I know that he's right. And he, uh, they are forming me to, so that I'm a well-rounded person in the industry. And it's part of my commitment to them, you know. And what did you study? <laughs> oh yeah, he says, class. Don't forget to mention that in the university, every single uh, project I did was tobacco related. All my teachers, my te even in psychology, I remember in psychology the teacher was like, "Okay, so you're going to talk about an intelligence. What what intelligence do you?" Uh, you want to create or talk about and I literally was like, okay, so uh, uh, Manual skill intelligence and I talked and I created this whole intelligence about how Doing things repeatedly with your hands your hands memorize and it's muscle memory and it was all related to cigar rolling <laughs> So every little project and every little paper I did in in the university was tobacco cigar related and I don't know if my teachers loved me for that or they hated me for that, but <laughs> did you, um, everything what did you study out of interest? I studied in a university in Florida, um, Fort Lauderdale, uh, Nova Southeastern. Yeah. And I studied uh, in um, business administration with a minor in entrepreneurship and another minor in marketing. Right. Mm -hmm. And what about when you were in France? In France, I studied the French life. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a fine study. That was, a, I, I, that was, that was very fun. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I went to Oxford as well. I studied there for a summer. Did you? But I, um, yeah, uh, but I, in France, I, I focused a lot on learning my third language or completing so, my French, okay, so. and then I traveled a lot. So I made sure that I would go to different wineries all over oh. France. I would go visit Roquefort, uh, all the different places that made the olives in, in Italy. So I visited a lot of places that were culinary oriented as well, uh, so that I could instruct myself in that. So everything I did was the food? What do I think of food? Did you think of the food in France? In France, uh, or in Europe in general, uh, the in food. France, yeah. The I was in the south of France. I was in Montpellier. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was very interesting. A lot of new uh, types of uh, sauces, and I was with families that would cook for me. So I stayed with families that so would learn the language better. Uh, I, I really, really uh, enjoyed uh, the different lifestyle. You know, waking waking up in the morning, going to the cafe, yeah. having coffee, a baguette, and the newspaper on the other hand. <laughs> so I, I really immerse myself in in, in, and in the culture. Don't forget the dancing, eh? You... Yeah. <laughs> 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 oh yes, and he says that I also immerse myself in the nightlife. Of course, I, I was a I was a dance teacher in two clubs. Uh, for no merengue, bachata, so I would go around and I teach Latin dancing. Again, well, it was all about immersing myself in the culture, and I will never forget that year. I'm a foodie at nature, and okay. I, loved, I loved all the foods from all over Europe. Every, every time I visited a different town, I would ask what was unique about that restaurant, what was different, uh, even trying different things. Like, things as weird as like cow tongue. Cow well, this is what I was going to ask different. you because it's very different to food that you would have grown up with. And I'm just, I was just interested. It's great to hear you say that. So you, what, you tried all the weird stuff you could find. You, you liked escargot and all of that thing. Yeah. Oh, a lot of escargot. A <laughs> lot of it. <laughs> but again, I don't say no to food. I just, I just try it. And I, I particularly don't really not like a, a food. I, I will try everything and I'll eat yeah. everything. Yeah, I think it's also part of growing up with blending because you have to try everything, and you, you don't know, you, you don't like it till you try it, right? You have to appreciate it and you have to see how it would work. 
in your palette and how you match it with different things. And I think that's also part of blending. Maybe you don't like it, but you appreciate it for what it is. And then you yes. analyze it in a way that is objective and why it works in the palette and why people appreciate it. Absolutely. And there's so many things that at first taste or first glance or whatever it might be, you might not be to your palate as it were, but you can combine it with this, that or the other, or you at least take this sort of objective view where you could see why it would be useful. And then and, and just, you know, a lot of the things that we enjoy as adults, of course, we think are disgusting as children. It's, a, it's an acquired, learnt taste as well, isn't it? Yes. It, I, for me, I think one of the things that I've really had to acquire a taste for is really the spicy things. Really? In the Dominican Republic, we don't cook with a lot of spices. We no. don't do a lot of spicy things. So it's one of those things that I really have to have learn myself or teach myself where, you, you know, you start with the softer spices and you really you slowly progress yeah. and, and, and you develop your palate. And I think that's, I, I'm willing always to try anything. And as long as it's not too spicy, it doesn't blow my palate, then I, I'm, I'm all good for it. It's just the spicy things are something that I have to needed an acquired taste for it. Yeah, it's, a, it's interesting. And it's a really good point because, you know, if you are doing what you do, what you sell is based on taste. And so you do need to have a really broad palette and an understanding of different flavors and countries and how they work. I mean, mm -hmm. um, what about Henke? Do you, do, do you like to try different cuisines, Henke, or out from around the world? Yes, I like to try everything. You know, I know it only for hungry. I like for taste. I like to taste. I yeah. discover different intensity and stimulation and the palate. And when I find some balance, I prefer balance. That means... Uh, a stimulation all my area or my or my tongue no my mouth of his palate we 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 both uh well i was grown i, I grew up in the school of total palate stimulation when it talked we're, we're talking about blending and total palate stimulation mm. is yes all your areas of your palate are stimulated but they're also evenly balanced yes and that's something that we look for not only in cigars but also in food and in drinks yeah, absolutely. And I've sat, sat at some length with your dad and he talks about the different areas of the palate and draws his little, another one of his little maps and, and the different tasting areas and all of that stuff is really, really interesting and important. Could you, Henke, you still do any daily exercises? Que si tú todavía te ejercitas todos los días, si, si haces ejercicio todos los días. Yes, yes, every day. Every <laughs> day, <laughs> I walk three kilometers every day. Remember, it's enough for me because I, now I, I, I have 74.45 years. Whoa. Uh, you're still a spring chicken, but I remember the girls. It would have been um, Melanie, um, and, and, and the other girls at the time at Davidoff were all laughing because you were striding down the track, throwing your arms back, doing your exercises. <laughs> it keeps you fit and well. You sound like you're really well, my friend. Yeah, he, uh, he wakes up every morning <laughs> and he, he walks. And now with the quarantine, it's very funny to see him because we have a backyard and he'll walk around the backyard and he'll do several laps around the backyard and he will count his steps really and he will measure exactly how many steps would be uh or how many laps around the, the yard would be three kilometers Absolutely. Uh, how many steps and it's, it's very funny yeah. how he how he is so methodical and so mathematical of how he exercises <laughs> and everything yes i i, I know that 82 pass is uh, 65 meters 82 steps. It's, it's, really? it's 55 meters. That is very precise. That really is. Um, right, listen, um, before I let you two go, because I'm very aware it's a Saturday afternoon and I'm so pleased you um, decided to join me and thankful for that. Could you tell our listeners, what have you been smoking lately that you think is really good? Anything, doesn't have to be Davidoff. What have you, what have you, what's been in your rotor over the last week or so? First class. 
¿Qué es lo que tú estás fumando últimamente? Now I smoke uh, late hour. It's too early for late hour, but I, uh, my two favorite favorite cigars is a uh, Yamasa and late hour. Oh yeah. My, hmm. He we. Of course, Yamasa is from our farm, and one of the things that we enjoy the most is the Yamasa cigar, the Yamasa line. Right. It's actually one of my cigars that I keep uh, always stocked in my humidor, and it's always in my rotation no matter what. It's a little bit more bolder, a little bit more powerful, sometimes a little too much for the morning, uh, depending on how you woke up <laughs> that morning. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, um, For me, right now, right now, I'm enjoying a special R702 from the 702 line. The 702 wrapper, which we created uh, and hybridized in, our, in, in the facilities with, for Davidoff. A superb so, cigar, isn't it? Yes. I, I love the, the added sweetness and a little bit of spice and intensity, woodiness that the wrapper does to the cigar. Uh, but uh, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy the Grand Cru number two early mm. in the morning. So when you describe your, the chapter on Henke in the farm, normally I start almost every single day in the farm with either a Grand Cru number two or a Davidoff 2000. Oof. And these are like my morning cigars. And then later at night, I normally I'm grabbing a Yamasa. That is heaven. <laughs> Absolute heaven. Listen, thank you too so much for coming on. It's a real joy to speak to you from all the way over there uh, in Santiago. I can't wait to catch up with you both again. I'm hoping that sometime before too long, I'll get out to Dominican again. And, uh, and it's always lovely to chat. And let's uh, keep in touch. Let me know how things are. Stay safe. And uh, all the best to you and your families. Thank you for coming on. The best to you, Nick. Thank you for having us on your podcast. Uh, I, I really wish you a lot, a lot of good luck with, with uh, your viewership and the podcast. I think it's great. Uh, what you're doing and just going back to your book uh, mm. I love the fact that um, the whole concept about the book I love it because what, what you did with it basically traveling all over the world having different experiences different meeting different people different cigars is, is kind of what I do now and yes. it, it's it's very in line with what my father has done when he travels around the world and uh, Again, I, I hope that we can go back to traveling sometime again soon and then start enjoying cigars with people and yeah. with our friends. And we look forward to the time when we get to enjoy a cigar with you again. Absolutely, my friend. Thank you for your kind words. Thank you, Henke. All the best to you. Stay safe. Okay, bye. Thank you, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> Take care, guys. All the best. You know, you know I think... And, and And in and, and that moment, when they open the market, yeah. it's more important than ever they make a band in the store because, especially, I told especially uh, USA, the people change their habit. They, uh, mm -hmm. today they buy cigar by internet. True. Um, and maybe reduce the visit to, to the, in the future to the store. And we need to make events, good event for take the back the, the consumer to the store. I think this is more important than ever, the event in the store. Yeah, really good point. And, uh, well, hopefully at some stage too, I'll see you again in uh, St. James's Street at Davidoff, Henke, and we can talk tobacco all over again. It would be our pleasure. <laughs> all the best Thank to you. you. Thanks. Bye-bye. Yeah. Take care, Nick. Well, I can't stress to you enough what legends you've been listening to then um it's easy to do because i've got to know some of these people and i would class them as friends and stuff and we just chat i sometimes forget but there was a time when i thought that guy was a rock star and he is a rock star and his son is fast becoming the same um you know the, the depth of knowledge honestly you can't quite imagine you start having a conversation with him and you realize that You, you know, completely out of your league in terms of tobacco knowledge and stuff. You know, we like it and we like to talk about it and when we talk about the end results, but we know nothing, absolutely nothing compared to these people who, who live with it, grow it every day. And then, you know, to have a conversation with Henke and the class 
about that and how it grows and why it grows and why you need to walk every row of every field every day because as Henke told me the tobacco talks to you and sometimes if you miss something one day by the next day it'll be too late to rectify it um, you know quite remarkable so I really hope you enjoyed that little discussion about all sorts of things to do with the tobacco and the blending of tobacco and how growing it is you know is farming but in a very different way to the, the way we would think of farming um, let's have a little look shall we at some of the um, lovely notes you've been sending through to me I'm not very good at these sorts of things you know reading them out and digging them out it's not a very British thing to do to blow your own trumpet but I guess that's what you have to do to get these things going um, Christopher J Clay contacted me on Insta and said uh, about the book fascinatingly informative and side-splittingly funny in equal measure if you're a cigar enthusiast or just want hints on where your next holiday could be then this is the book for you Hats off to Nick Hammond, writer, for putting pen to paper. Thank you, Christopher. That's really kind of you. Cigars Northumberland says um, about the pod. Worth a listen whilst enjoying a smoke. Great conversation and so much insight. Well done, Nick. Keep up the good work. Thank you, sir. Safari series in Kenya. Yes, Ed. Um, he very pithily told me that the pod was bedtime listening for him. <laughs> not sure if I'm disturbed or pleased by that really UK cigar chap says if you get the chance listen to Nick Hammond writer around the world in 80 cigars as he interviews some of the most prominent and interesting characters from the industry they certainly make jogging the streets far more pleasurable keep going UK cigar chap you can do it another mile <laughs> Frank P says just heard your Rob Fox episode Man, what memories. I've been to the St. James store every time I visited London and managed to keep in touch with one of the fellows there who steered me in the right direction cigar-wise once or twice. If cigars were a religion, that store would be Vatican for me. I even dug up my pictures of the Churchill chair. Fantastic podcast. Keep them coming. Thank you, thank you, Frank. Great to hear that we can sort of chime those memories with you and, uh, and set you off on, on a amazing memory trip about your visits to uh, to JJ Fox's and while we're here and doing the whole self-plugging thing let's read a few reviews of the book since it's come out I haven't done that before I don't think uh, let's have a look Bold Novo says I'm a cigar smoker but would have enjoyed this book even if I wasn't well written by an obviously passionate author who has a talent of getting your attention from the first humorous chapter and keeping it through every chapter with wonderful descriptions of his exploits, both amusing and highly descriptive. His views on Cuban cigars and New World cigars are pretty much the same as my own. A really good read. Well, that's good to hear. Thank you. Um, Jeff says, I decided to put my, book, my phone down while I smoke and read this book instead, and only while smoking in my cigar lounge at home. In brackets, garden shed. Suffice it to say, I've increased my cigar intake somewhat good just finished it which is sad a most excellent read thank you jeff um michael s says cannot wait for his next book give us a chance michael <laughs> this was a brilliant read the way he describes his experiences are brilliant what's more it doesn't just focus on cigars rather tales of travels to places i now need to go based on the author's tales <laughs> recently started out on my cigar journey and got this as a present, and it is absolutely brilliant, says Graham Mitchell. Great natural storytelling. Funny, informative, and engaging from start to finish. Really makes you want to visit locations, and definitely makes you want to try all the cigars he describes with honesty and abs absolutely no pretension. Top read, highly recommended. Thank you. That's really kind of you. And there's loads and loads more. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, Alistair Kerr from the United Kingdom says, print is far too small and faint. <laughs> well, you can't say I didn't give you both sides of it, but that is literally the only negative review I have had. Um, thank you, Alistair. Sorry about the small print. Should have gone to Specsavers. Listen, let me uh, finally finish by saying, you can, of course, get hold of the book 
around the world in 80 cigars the travels of an epicure by logging on to www.nick-hammond.com you can order it from your local cigar merchant and i would urge you to do so in these times they're finding it tough these guys so everything you can do to buy from them is gratefully received i know souters and lawrence there has some signed copies available because i've sent some to him um and so does Robert Graham up in Scotland. I've sent some to them. Um, so check with your local cigar merchant first and see if they can help you. We'll always send them out. Failing that, log on to the website um, and we will if, uh, send them to you wherever you are in the world. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's pod. I hope you're all keeping well. Let's meet again next week. For the time being, I'm going to continue doing them weekly, although, as you can imagine, it's quite uh, tricky getting it all done and out. And also, quite, um, you know, quite a lot of work to get people and, and do the research and stuff. But at the moment, we'll stick, stick to it for the time being with one a week. Um, I think, as you are loving it, and I know it's keeping you busy and giving you the excuse that you perhaps might need to nip off for a smoke and listen to it. So enjoy your smokes, enjoy whatever else you're doing, keep a smile on your face and look after each other. Until next week, see you then guys. Bye-bye.